Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for choosing to listen to this. I'm Mark Stephen. At the time of recording this podcast, Europe registered its highest ever temperature, 48.8 degrees centigrade. That's nearly 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Whole sections of Turkey and Greece are ablaze, while areas of Germany suffered catastrophic flooding recently. Now, there have always been extremes of weather, but those events are getting more frequent and it makes farming, wherever you are, even more difficult. You can't control the weather, so what can you do? In this series of podcasts, we're taking a look at monitor farm projects from around Scotland and asking what we can learn from them. Kenny Adams is a monitor scheme farmer. He's spent his whole life at Torhouski Farm near Wigton. He farms approximately 550 acres, which is predominantly grass, and runs 115 cows and 340 ewes. Robert Ramsey is an agricultural consultant who works for SAC Consulting in Air. Now, Robert's got a specialist interest in beef production systems and business management. Away from work, he runs the family farm in partnership with his parents, where they run 40 suckler cows and 300 breeding ewes. So, welcome to you both. Thanks very much for agreeing to do this. No problem. No problem. Good to be here. Kenny, for a start, tell me a bit more about your farm. We're uh, very marginal. We have about 100 acres bottom line that'll get wet and flood probably nine months of the year. We have about 100 further up that's rougher rock. No heather, but just very poor grassland. So, and it's about 300-ish in the middle that's a uh, good quality grazing, but, but very shallow soils. So presumably you must struggle a wee bit with forage crops. They're great in the winter time, but uh, we're fairly hard, so it's it's fairly easy feeding. But we, if we don't get rain at least once a week, we are, we can burn fairly quickly. And Robert, tell me a bit about your farm. It's actually so we're in a different area. We're in, in Ayrshire. We are um, on the Ayrshire Lanarkshire border. The home sits about 600 feet, rising to about just over 1,100 feet. Probably similar type of land to... What Kenny's working with were, were fairly dry, which is not typical of Ayrshire, but usually that's a real asset for us that we've got dry land and can carry stock. Certainly this summer it's been a, a different job. It's been a bit more of a challenge and certainly while others prosper round about us, we've been the kind of dusty bit in the middle really, so uh, a bit of a challenge. So I feel, I feel certainly some of Kenny's been in the, uh, the more drought, drought-ridden areas of the country as well. Kenny, why did you choose to get involved in the Monitor Farm Project? I've been at when Robert Parker was monitor farmer, and I just loved the experience. Not so much the bringing the experts in, but the camaraderie and and the listen to the, the other farmers. You learn so much just by talking to people. Farming, you're quite an isolated, and you don't speak to many people other than reps coming in. It, it was great. Just once a month or every couple of months, you got away and good crack and and listen to folk, and it, it just I, I found it brilliant. You both mentioned the fact that, you know, the weather can be occasionally odd in different ways. We've had, I mean, certainly here in Aberdeenshire, it was, I mean, it's a very late start to the spring. Then we had a long, long dry period here in the east, you know, and stuff simply wasn't growing. Nationally speaking, Robert, what's the season been like so far? Just as, as you said, it was a very challenging spring. We had a very late spring and and. Certainly 2021 will be remembered for a lot of things, but more than ever, it's been, it'll be remembered for, for a, so far a very, very dry year. 
So certainly at home, we've had 500 mils of rain so far this year. Last year, we had 1,800 mils of rain. So we're, we're still not yet had a, had a third of our rainfall we got last year. Granted, last year we were moaning that it was pretty wet, but it's a, a real challenge. Scotland's a, it's a small country on a global context, but we've got a whole load of weather. There's a whole load of different situations out there. So I know in the East Coast and, and some of the areas who are, who are more prone to drought have actually had a, probably a better season. So there, there are quite a lot of areas across Scotland who've had you know, a really pretty sound season and things have been going pretty well. So there's been a quite acute issues in, in very you know very regional issues this, this year which is really quite interesting and and just as you mentioned before it's all it's all about extremes you know we had extremely cold followed by extremely dry so we had no growth and then we had extreme growth for for a wee while then too dry again certainly for us so it's been a very variable very very interesting year from the outside looking in but certainly for uh, for all involved there's certainly been challenges for everybody Kenny I began by saying that you've spent your whole life at Dorhowski Farm. You know, you, you were born there, you grew up there, you took, o- took it over from your parents. Traditionally, Dumfries and Galloway is known as the green and the grey. You know, the, the green being the grass and the grey being the clouds and the rain that actually make the grass green in the first place. Across your lifetime, is the weather changing? Are you seeing differences? I think we've just seen extremes. 1985, I was, I, I was at home and we were all small bales hay, and that was an absolute disaster that year. We had a acre of barley that was just a wash it. We finished up paying to, to round bale hay that was, had been lying for a month as fodder. But from then on, it's been really wet. You get good grass growing area and, and we loved the amount of grass that came, but we had challenges to preserve it for winter or, or even just keep stocking grass at certain times of the year. Uh, but now this last couple of years, we're getting back to really hot again, which you could say it's a cycle. I think it might be, but whether it's the global warming or whether it's just a, a, a weather cycle, I, I just your guess is as good as mine. Talk me through your year, Kenny. What's it been like, say, from you know New Year's Day onwards? Well, we're fairly wet for New Year on. We had fairly decent temperatures. We're, we're getting grass growth in it in the winter time. We actually had more frost in May than we had in the whole of the winter, which made a, made a honour any kind of spring grass that we did have. Last year, I was just telling somebody that last year we fed five tonne of, of rolls to our use. This year we fed 18 tonne, just in the difference in, in grass growth and the, the lack of grass growth. Right through to end of May, we were still feeding ewes to try and keep milk on, on them and then it dried up. <laughs> So we're in a pretty pretty sticky sticky wicket. Silage this year, I, I made a point of going. I was I was looking to go for three cuts this year, which probably has helped try to get a bit more quality, try to save feeding, by concentrate. And uh, we had a fairly decent first cut, but we got fertilizer on, and and we got a wee bit of rain, and uh, we just did second cut there, but fortnight ago, just before the rain came again, and. It wasn't much, but it was better than some of the folk that are still left to, to cut now. And I'm ready. The third cut is coming away really good, but it's just budgeting. We we actually ran out of silage in the end of March. So we were feeding hard, concentrate, buying straw, hay, silage, whatever we could get. Just it's been a bit of a pig of a year. 
what can actually be done about that? Because I mean, if if the ball's up in the slates, if there's absolutely no certainty as to what's going to happen, how do you plan ahead? How do you budget? You know that that's the one thing that, that's always the case. We don't know what's coming. You know, we don't. You we've got to prepare for the kind of the worst case scenario or neither the worst case scenario. So we can't say because we've had a good, you know, we've had a dry summer, we're going to have a good autumn or it's going to be a wet autumn. We don't know what's coming. So the need for feed budget budgeting and, and budgeting to you know to to give yourself that buffer, that that extra bit that we needed this spring, it can be overemphasized. So certainly doing a budget, doing a and a forage budget sounds like a really complicated thing to do. If you simply go out and count bales, get a silage analysis, that's the, the start of it. You know, find out where we're at, compare that to where you've been in previous years, and you know, take it from there. And once we get once we know where you're at, you can then start making decisions as to how do we increase supply of forage and equally how do we reduce demand for forage. And I think for, for Kenny's position that we're in this year, we're, we're quite quite a long way. We're in, in mid-August now, quite a long way along that grass growth curve. So we've, we've had most of the growth potential. I think the way we've had water and soil temperatures are warm, we're going to get quite a lot of grass growth to come in this year, but we're not going to, you, you know, there's a bit of damage done already. So we can look at options for Kenny as to how to increase the supply of forage that he's got. But equally, if we can pare back the demand, if we can, you know, get rid of some passengers, sell cattle a wee bit younger, there's various things we can do there to reduce the demand. And a combination of the two generally makes us get there. And, and I think that's the, the thing we need to keep in mind while we're looking at something that could easily be seen as a, a crisis or a panic. We've never not got there before. You know, it will be OK as long as you sit down do some numbers, find out where we're at, and make some decisions to suit. The firefighting exercises that you had to carry out, Kenny, things like you know buying you know a shed lot more of roll uh, for for your for your use. What what impact financially? You know, the bottom line does that have in your business? It's had a massive impact. We really struggled. We had to extend our overdraft this year, which was bad enough. And I, I would say the stock hasn't done as well this year. We're, we've left with a lot of lambs at the moment just because there's no grass. Lambs are, have grown well, but there's no condition on them, no finish. So I'm carrying extra mouse at the moment that I can't get away just because they're not fit enough to go. I've had to sell my suckle and my calves. I normally would sell them in September at a calf sale, but they've had to go two months earlier than normal just because I'm short of, short of meat and short of money. I think if I can just come in there, the important thing to think there is that you're not alone on that one. You know that the financial consequences of this year are, are pretty vast and, and anybody listening to this needs to know that they're not the only person that is in a, a difficult financial position. The other thing to think about is, you know, for this is more of a, a government and a policy plea really is at the moment we are getting heavily scrutinised with regards to carbon emissions and, you know, where our individual carbon audits are and, and if ever there was an example of the dangers of comparing one year to another for carbon is a carbon audit from last year would look pretty good and then the level of inputs that was required to get through this spring would then look that make this year look pretty bad and that that's through nobody's fault no no issues just purely down to the fact that we're so exposed to the weather so the while we need to make a lot of progress on the carbon front it's a you know, it's a longer game than just one year compared to the next. 
So you understand that, farmers understand that, and the scientists at SEC Consulting would understand that. But do the politicians understand that? I'm not entirely sure that they do. I, I, I think I said a meeting with a few MSPs yesterday, and I think they understand that. You know, I think the five that, that showed up to a farm, an on-farm event really did get that, but they were the ones who were interested in farming and, and passionate about what we do. So they had invested time and, and uh, certainly I, I did get the feeling from them that we really did have our back. But on the whole, I think we have a, in Scotland, we've got a supportive government who are trying their best to do something positive about climate change. And I think most farmers now would be very supportive of that, but we do need to shout from the rooftops, you know, the, the challenges and the, and the opportunities that we've got to be a major part of that climate debate. There is such variability, Kenny. It is so unpredictable. I mean, how, how much lead time do you get with some of these decisions? You mean, can, can you look three months in advance, six months in advance, or is it a case of, oh, blimey, we need this next week? Pretty much a, a firefighting exercise, I would say. As I said, last year was absolutely brilliant. We had great spring, loads of grass growth, and everything did. This year, everything's going to be a bit behind. You've just got to work with it as it comes. Personally, I could maybe sell store alarms if I was thinking that way, but mm, you just wonder. My use may be earning big enough fail, so I, I, I might have to consider that as well. The good thing with that option is the store trade at the moment, you know, the, the, the lamb market is very buoyant, both in terms of prime and of store. So although we don't intend to sell store at this stage, if, if things are getting, if we're under the pump, things are getting tight, selling store lambs, we're likely to get a similar price for store lambs this year than we got for, for prime lambs at a similar time. So it's a good option and certainly one that we're within probably a few weeks of, of making that call and just biting the bullet and doing it. How do the rest of the folk that you were involved with, Kenny, in the Monitor Farm Project actually feel about it? I mean, is everybody in the same boat or are some better off than others? It's quite a varied area. Some of my friends, they're in the heavy cliff and they've, they've really suffered doing enough of damage to their, to their fields in the last 10 years, trying to grow crops and, and, and harvest them in, in such a wet time. But this year, these fellas have been, have been loving this weather with the cracking of their soils, the ground, and, and able to get water away. and Just the amount of grass growth those fellas have had compared to us, because we are so, soils are so light, ours are just disappearing where they've been flourishing. They're having crops of silage, able to get stock out to graze. But a lot of, even the dairy boys, are, cows are in 24-7. They're getting stock outside to get grazing, saving them a bit of, bit of money but whereas we've got stock outside but nothing to eat we're having to feed hay straw and concentrate my suckler cows the spring carvers they've been getting a kilo of blend all summer just to make sure they've got enough energy levels to to get in carve it's just been a, a fairly fairly dodgy summer for us we're also seeing you know systems changing and evolving just as as climate we probably don't notice it because it's a it's a fairly gradual change, but certainly things on the whole things are are warmer. So we've got we've probably got a slightly wider range of crops that we're able to grow. And we see into this southwest part of the country, there's there's more, you know, alternative crops. So people trying to grow a bit of protein, growing some lucerne, and certainly from an energy perspective, maize, 
and other crops coming in, more winter cereals coming into the area as well, just as the growing season changes. We're now seeing as well in, in sheep systems a move away from the kind of traditional cake-based post-scanning a concentrate diet to some producers anyway trying to do an all-grass wintering approach as well. So by being able to grow grass through the through the winter, and, and again, not every winter, not every farm suits that, but if we can grow more grass through the winter, if we manage that properly and, and rotationally grazing to, to a very high degree, we can actually spin that that crop out right through the winter, given allocating the, the sheep exactly what they're needing on a daily basis and basically get, get through the winter with no or, or certainly minimal concentrate use, which is, is a, a great story. That, that system, the, the wheels did come off that system a wee bit this year when we got such a late spring, because generally you're trying to clear your covers out pre-lambing and then lamb onto grass. So we lambed onto bare ground basically this year. But fortunately in that position, the only the, the get out of jail free card was that we can still feed sheep. So we can still put an, an allocation of concentrate into the diet and, and get through. Wouldn't be the, the grand plan, the long-term plan for that, but certainly the, having ducking and diving and, and altering the plan is really important to any of these systems. I think most folk just get on with it. We talk about it, probably a good moan, but you just you just go on with it. There's, there's nothing else for it. I mean, we're we're really talking about challenges here. Are there opportunities arising from this? There probably is some down the line, whether it's carbon capture for for other industries. But I I think our our main role is still to produce food and the best quality food we can, and still look after the environment. Because a lot of the environment in this area is the way it is because of beef and sheep and, and dairy. We have a lot of wildlife and, and, and everything. And that may be another option as well. There's a lot of tourism. There could be wildlife tourism. There could be every other thing. It might just be that the, the farming is a, a, a secondary income. For me, I think as far as positives go, the one thing, you know, we look at Europe, half of Europe on fire and the other, the other half flooded. We've got challenges to discuss just now, but it's challenges that affect the day-to-day management of, of our businesses. It's not challenges that affect the out-and-out viability of the business. We're in a great part of the world for producing red meat, for producing high-quality protein from grass, from natural forage. Globally, there's massive issues with huge tracts of land that are no longer, longer fit to produce food with a growing population. I think climate change, where we're at locally, we're, we're seeing some of the effects, but I think we're in a, in a really strong position to, to kick on and actually be needed as a, as a food producer. The start of COVID, you know, we got that feeling, we got food security became, you know, a very acute issue and we got a sense of purpose. We realised we were needed and that's, I think that's an ongoing thing. I think the from from here on in, we're going to be in a position where, you know, we are, we are strongly needed and, and a, hopefully it's a position where we encourage new people into the industry and we, we kick on from here. Do you honestly think that? Because I, I agree with you 100% that you know certainly in the first onslaught of COVID in 2020, there were really serious concerns about food security and things and people became much more focused on what was being produced locally because they had no option. You, you couldn't travel any distance, you couldn't do X, Y, Z, so you, you, you suddenly became aware of what was sitting on your doorstep. I'm less convinced that's the case now. You know, pe- people in the village very quickly forget that there's a dragon under the mountain. 
the issue really would be media. You know, we're producing a podcast here in a, a very pro, hopefully very pro red meat and, and pro farming podcast. But meanwhile, there'll be various other media items being produced that are very anti-red meat, very, you know, other agendas on the go. And if you're the standard consumer, not close to farming, bombarded with media coverage of, of negative about farming and food production, it's little wonder that that, that, that is an issue. I hope that the worm's turning. I hope that we can can get those positive messages out and really show that you know sustainability isn't just about carbon. It's about you know the, the whole the holistic approach, the whole job. Can this be repeatable? Can we sustain this volume of people on the planet? And I, I think it certainly in the long term, I can see no future without doing what we do. And, and I appreciate what Kenny's saying about tourism and and all the other things that we do, all the valuable things that we do. But our core has to be food production and and you know through time we need to get those those messages to consumers and, and make sure that we're we're really um telling them all all the good stuff while we're trying to deal with the bad stuff as well we've, we've spoken about consumers we've spoken about media politicians farmers etc but if you could if you could change that because farmers don't exist in isolation obviously kenny if you could change the structure of things to make more sense of your business, how would you do that? You know, say further downstream, the relationship with supermarkets or, or councils or, or local authorities, what would you change? Oh, that's a question. I actually do quite a lot with RET. That's the Royal, High- the Royal Highland Educational Trust, RET. Yes, yes. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on their committee as well. So, And we're really pushing the fact that, that folk really don't know where their food comes from and how that affects the locals how that affects the country how that affects the world because of of climate change or whatever you want want to call it so i think letting people know where their food actually comes from and that folk are trying their best to produce food in a sustainable manner and look after the countryside and and look after the uh, the people around about them i'm trying to think robert which regional authority it was Ayrshire, South Lanarkshire possibly, who recently said that they were going to try and source the food for things like hospitals, care homes, um, schools, etc. They're going to try and source it as locally as possible. That, I thought, was quite a, a, a cheering initiative. Yeah, I was literally just, just going to bring that up, actually. So it's actually East Ayrshire Council. It's my local council have basically brought in a local procure, procurement policy. And obviously we can't do... East Ayrshire can do a lot of things. It can't grow bananas. It can't grow tea and coffee. And but as far as the things that we can produce, and we've got a, a very variable farming systems, we can produce a lot of different stuff in, in East Ayrshire and surrounding counties. Why would we not? You know, if, if you're a government trying to support production, which they are, you know, we're, we're well subsidised and we're well supported by the government. But the best thing we can get is a fair price, a decent price for what we're producing. And what better way to do that than to actually make use of it locally and and schools and hospitals are a great example and also a place where we can put quality where would you prioritize quality food more than to our young people and to our old people as well so local procurement for me is is vital and really i'm quite excited to see that that's actually now now on the agenda and something that we can can get involved in and, and make happen and, and improve across the country the one thing though is east Ayrshire has always been good with local procurement because it's a rural council, Glasgow, Edinburgh, the, the, the urban councils are sadly falling well behind that. So it's a really, it's a, 
a nice local story, but a, a major national issue that we need to get, get on board with and make it happen. Can I ask the pair of you a, more, a much more generic question? You know, with all we've been talking about, all the variables, all the uncertainties, unpredictabilities and things, are you both optimistic about the future? You really have to answer that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's in the contract. <laughs> yes, uh, I think so. Folks still have to eat, but I think it, it's quite scary when you see so much in the media and everything else. We're just a small, very, very small cog in a, in a, in a big, large industry. And we seem to be getting hammered all the time. But as I say, still folks still have to eat. And I think it will come around again. Whether there's another pandemic or something else that, that shocks the, the country back into it again, you, would, you wouldn't know. It, it, it might be. Or, or whether we get some of the real global warming stuff, the floods and the droughts, it might help again. But I, I still feel we have to eat. I would agree. You know, the, the future has to be bright. The one thing we know, you, you know, the, the solution to, to climate change, the ultimate solution, humans are the problem. We've got big carbon emissions. If we stop farming, we stop having people. You know, we've got farmers, which means that the rest of us don't need to be farmers. So we're always going to need farming. As a country, as I said before, we're well-placed to produce food. And hopefully as things progress, we'll, we'll maintain that, we'll stay in that position. We've wanted change for a long time. We've just, we've, farmers have been asking for change for many years and, and all of a sudden there's a lot of change happening at once and and some of those changes are positive some of them are negative but on the whole I think there's a few storms there's a bumpy road eh, in front of us for the next year or two but on the whole I think things have to be positive for the future. Kenny Adams and Robert Ramsey thank you both very much it's been very interesting talking to you. Thank, thank you. you. We'll be back next week with another podcast uh, until then I'm Mark Stephen uh, I hope you found this useful. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.